0: Welcome back to Sisu Girls Canada. On this episode, I'm speaking to Krista Davidson. She's a woman who has struggled with alcohol and doing it her way, she decided to get sober. Whether you're suffering from addiction or not, her story will definitely touch and inspire you. Today on the show, we're talking to Krista, an amazing woman who shares her story about her road to recovery. Welcome, Krista.
1: Thanks, Michelle.
0: So, you describe yourself um on your blog uh as a runner, recovering alcoholic, wife, mother, daughter, granddaughter, niece, BFF and vegan. But not too long ago, what words would you have used to describe yourself?
1: Uh, alcoholic, for sure. Um I along with that, I was probably unfit. Um probably Self-conscious, probably had, uh, well, I don't know actually that I've ever had real low self-esteem. I don't know if that would be accurate, but um, yeah, definitely probably a handful of really negative things that uh, were brought on by drinking too much. Seeing myself through uh, a different lens because of uh, my
0: alcoholism, probably. Um, you recently just celebrated a milestone in your sobriety and it was a you' were, you've been five years sober so what has the last five years been like for you
1: um it's been really incredible actually um quitting drinking was probably you know the best decision that i've ever ever made in my life in the beginning it was obviously difficult for a lot of physical and psychological reasons. But um, as the time and the years have gone on now, quitting drinking um, has, you know, that was like alcohol and the socializing that I did because of it uh, or along with it, not because of it, um, I thought was a big loss at the time when I gave it up. But, what happened was I cleared a lot of junk out of the way for me to almost get just stripped down back to finding out who I was, what I enjoyed, um what things brought me bliss. And in doing that, the journey over the past five years has um actually added way more things to my life than what I lost um by giving up drinking, obviously. At this point, I don't see living without alcohol as a great loss, which is a really a, a healthy place to be in my mind. Um, but when I first gave up drinking, of course, like it, it was it was a big loss. Like I think I've done some writing in the beginning where I grieved it, like the loss of a best friend. Um, but over the last five years, I, I've gotten healthier in a lot of ways, not just physically, but in my mind. And I can see that it's like, if if it was a friendship at all, it was an unhealthy friendship. And what I've gained by giving it up is um, way more healthy in my life, like spiritually, um, mentally, and physically. So,
0: Yeah, in your blog, yeah, your blog, which is called Running on Empties, um, you talk about what you just were talking about, how being drunk made you the life of the party and you feared that change in, you feared that would change when you took sobriety. Um, so for those of people out there who have that same kind of fear or about thinking about taking sobriety in their life, um, you know, what would you share with them?
1: Well, I think it's like anything, any, um, part of ourselves or, or part of our identity or how we see ourselves when we change or give those things up—alcohol, or if you had to give up running, or you know whatever it would be in your life that um, you identify uh, with that—that that defines you—it's—it's it's really frightening. Like you can't imagine living without. Those things in your life that are so much of a par- a part of you. So, the thing is, al- alcohol. Like, I just I, I I could not imagine. Like, it was it was unfathomable for me at the time that there were people actually uh, that chose not to drink ever. Like, I thought, well, well, like they're alcoholics, right? And and they they won't drink because of their addiction and the problems that that causes. And, you know, at the time I had a counselor that had said, no, there are people that live alcohol-free just because there's no place for it in their life. And I just couldn't fathom that. I thought, seriously, like, I don't know who wouldn't drink if they could. And that, it's so unhealthy to think that way. But for me, that was, it was just part of who I was. And I was really frightened to give it up, um... I just didn't I couldn't see I couldn't see I couldn't see who I would be without it which is really really ridiculous when I look back now but it was it was part of an addiction process in my mind that I needed um alcohol it was just part of me so I was really frightened to give it up and I had people along the way saying you know what it'll get better and it'll be fine. And I remember thinking, yeah, okay, I know you're telling me this. It doesn't feel like it's going to be fine. Like, and and I've written this, like, who am I without a drink in my hand? Like, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. And fortunately, you know, with the big support system, I was able to, um, stick with my commitment to become sober. And I've been able to figure out who I actually am without a drink in my hand. And and I like that me a lot better than the old me, which at the time, the old me, I was so frightened to let go, to leave behind, to make the changes. And it's. I've been rewarded for sure. I've been rewarded. My life is so much richer now. Um, so, uh, more full, uh, I guess with relationships, activities, um, things that I'm involved with. So at that time, what was so scary and I just kind of had to hold my breath and trust that what others knew before me would come to pass. And I'm just so glad that, that I was able to, uh, to believe in myself that I could do it, to hang in there like minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month—you know, like it—it's been a process.
0: What was um, what was rock bottom for you? Rock bottom for me
1: um, probably came in two parts, very uh, close together in timing. Um, so really a year the year a year before I became sober finally gave up drinking I had begin to suspect that you know what like this drinking is probably a problem this seems like um, a little more than um, I don't know whether it's proper to say normal drinking but it just seemed different. And I did go to my doctor and I said, what do you think of this? Like, I've kind of been online and I did one of these, like, do you do this? Do you, how many drinks a week? And what's it like? And this, I said, I did one of these questionnaires. And I mean, I did it because I suspect that there's a problem. What do you think? And, you know, at that time he said, yeah, this is, yes, definitely uh, a problem. I left that appointment thinking, okay, yeah, like, no, no, I, uh, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I just really have probably an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I should just, you know, sort that out, um, cut back, whatever, all the things you tell yourself. And for a a short, very short while I did. But as that year kind of progressed, it got worse and worse and worse, which it does like an an addiction never uh, improves on its own. So as my rock bottom came, these two events for me. So, like, my in, in the intro, you said, like, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, like, I work full-time as a nurse uh, in my community hospital. So I have all these uh, people sort of counting on me for different things. And the first incident was I had been – um drinking and i what, hap, what what the picture looked like was um the last few years before i quit drinking you know i drank at home so i drank at home uh at inappropriate times i drank too much i drank too often and on this particular day it was similar i had been home i wouldn't have been working that day would have been off like my, my nursing schedule is not at that time was not monday to friday it was shift work and so i could have my weekend in the middle of the week i could work nights i could work days whatever so you know it wouldn't be uncommon that i would get everyone out of the house off to school and it could be 9:30 and i could start drinking and say cleaning the house so i would drink all day and this particular incident It was the same. It was the same. I had been drinking all day. It was probably, oh, just after supper. Uh, It was the time of year where there were parent teacher interviews at school. And my husband's a teacher. And so he had been at school doing his interviews and then popped home to grab me. He came in the door and he said, okay, come on, let's go. We've got to go to Tucker's interview and see his teacher. And I was drunk. And I, I knew it it had been scheduled, but I'd been drinking all day and it didn't occur to me. And when I say drinking all day, like, I mean, I'm drinking around the house. I'm not really, you know, falling down and staggering. Um, but I'm, I'm drunk for sure. And I missed my son's parent teacher interview because I was too wasted to go in a sense. Like I wasn't definitely wasn't going to show up to talk to his teacher drunk like that. So that was the first thing that got me thinking because uh, what I experienced was judgment from my husband and you know that really, he's such an easygoing guy and um, is so supportive of anything and everything I do. To have him look at me with you know disappointment, regret, judgment, like what are you doing Um, why have you done this? You've now hurt our son, which right. Okay. This is not life or death, but you know, when you're a mom and that's your kid, that's kind of your obligation. You you do these things. And I, I, well, it wasn't like I chose to drink rather than going. It was that the drinking kept me from even considering or remembering what my obligations were that evening. And so shortly after that, um, and you can imagine having done that, then I've also got now more disappointment and regret on my shoulders. And so what does addict do? They use more essentially to make those feelings go away. I would say within that same week, the second episode um that made me really take a look at things, um, I had been at work and I was um at the time a labor and delivery nurse. And really I, I I'm going to guess I probably, you know, I'd been working at that job for about 10 years. So it's an experienced labor and delivery nurse. um, But what had happened was very recently, there had been um, like a court case where an obstetrician and some nurses that worked on my unit were uh, in court being sued for... um, the outcome of this delivery that had happened this delivery had happened before i even worked in the unit but what had happened um was the court case was finally settled and in this case it um it laid blame at the nurses that were involved and i think that got under everybody's skin we work a high stress job there and the particular day that was rock bottom part 2 was I had a patient that the whole scenario was going down very similarly to what had happened in this um case that had just been decided in court where the nurses were guilty and I it was out of control it was uh, out of control um uh, ma- uh, and I I couldn't I couldn't do anything because this woman was just like sailing into labor and I felt unsupported by some other of my coworkers to help me. Anyways, so this just kept coming at me, coming at me. I kept having flashes of these guilty nurses. And I mean, we knew on that unit that those nurses didn't do anything that anybody else would have or wouldn't have done. Like, we knew as nurses that it was just the whole scenario that went down and, and that nobody really had any kind of guilt or blame. So I just kept eating at me, eating at me. Anyways, I came home from that shift and that was a day shift. So I worked 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Came home. The next day I would have worked a night shift. So I was to do, I was due to go back to work at 7 p.m. When I came home at 7, 7 p.m. on that, after that day shift, after that bad shift, I started drinking. I drank all night. um, And by that, I mean, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what time I went to bed. Late, 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 still drinking, still drinking. Probably like a drink on my nightstand when I did go to bed. When I woke up the next morning, started drinking again. By noon, I thought to myself, "You know what? You should stop drinking and you should go to bed. And you know, you've got to work tonight." And, anyways, by three o'clock that afternoon, I had not gone to bed. I was still drinking, and um, I at that point I called into work because I knew I knew I'm not going to work like this. Um, but I called into work and said I wouldn't be in, and I, I didn't go back to work. Uh, again, probably for about five months after that, so it was just a combination at that point of the stress of this particular situation just putting me right over the edge. I think I look back and at the time, i I didn't really identify my job as a stressor. Um, but now this far removed from all of it, and now that I do a new nursing position, I know that that job was a big, big factor in um, how my drinking evolved. Not, you know, like the propensity for me to be an addict of any kind uh, is in me, it, it's in my genetic makeup. Uh, but There are these outside factors or influencers that will trigger that, that will um, sort of make that come out in you. And I think when I look back, that job was probably a big, big risk for me.
0: So you've told me before uh, um, offline that you didn't use the AA program. Um, Was running part of getting sober, was running part of something you did before you were sober?
1: I'd always run, um, when I was a kid, when I was a youth, uh, and just as I headed into secondary school, I was a decent runner. I, I, I did well. Like, um, so when I look back, running has been something I've always done as a young adult, I did it, uh, less because I was partying all the time. And then when I had, um, after I, I think, had my kids, I started to run again. You know, it was one of those things where, oh gosh, I got to do something to get fit. I got to do something to be okay with myself. I need somewhere to put uh, stress. And so I, I would have periods again in my life um, that I would run, but nothing that really stuck. So when I quit drinking, um, probably after about the first Eight weeks of sobriety like that, I'm going to say the first eight weeks, I felt really crappy. I physically didn't feel well, obviously. Um, Emotionally, I was, you know, a wreck. Um, But as I started to come around two months sober, I, I started to feel like I need, I want to do something. I need to feel better. And I knew running would do that for me. So that's where I inserted running. And like at that time, I knew, you know, I'm not just going to go out and run, you know, 5K or I'm not just going to go run whatever. Like I'd gained a lot of weight drinking too. So um, at that time, uh, I I was at least I I was probably 45 pounds heavier than I am now. So, you know, I knew that I was not fit. But I also knew that if I went out there and I ran for 30 seconds and I walked for four and a half minutes, that little by little, that that would get me where I needed to be and that I was going to accept that that was just how it was going to have to be. Not that once upon a time I could run this distance or, you know, in this amount of time. I knew that if I started slowly, that... um that it would come and that it would be a useful, useful tool for me. So that's just really how it started. And the fact that I wasn't in an AA program, um, I used, you know, like an addictions counselor. I used a social worker in the beginning, um, had great support with my family doctor and some close friends and family. So I knew that... If I added running and sort of just kept my focus on improving that um, and sticking my energy into that, that I would be okay. That if if I just had something else to think about or obsess about, that I would be okay. So little by little, you know, obviously as it does, it it built and I felt better and stronger. And um, it was... That spring, so I guess it would have been in May that year. I gave up drinking in January, and May I ran uh, my first half marathon. So that in itself, as you know, as a runner and anybody who runs that is listening, you know that like the moment you cross that finish line, doesn't matter if it's five k, ten k, half marathon. If you've worked to get there, um, th- there's no feeling in the world that can replace that. There's no, you know, expensive bottle of wine that's going to make you feel like that. There's no, no nothing. So when I cross that finish line after having committed to doing the work to get there across that finish line, um, I think that was when uh, I guess I was hooked, so to speak, that I knew those good feelings would be, the good feelings that replaced the good feelings that I thought I'd gotten from alcohol.
0: Yeah, and it's an it's an interesting point um, because I have a lot of friends who are in a sobriety program or an AA, and you know, oftentimes they're encouraged to take up running to replace their addiction. Um, playing a little bit of devil's advocate, um, you know, if running is becoming a big part of your sobriety plan. Do you have a backup plan for, say, when you get injured, um, if you have a short-term injury or a long-term injury? Like, what do you do? Where where do people go to um, when that happens?
1: Yeah, so for me, in the beginning, um, when I say the beginning, I'm going to say probably the first couple years. So the first two years I was sober, that was it. It was a big deal, like, when... I'd be running and, you know, something would bother me. I remember, I think the very first thing that I encountered was, um, oh, an IT band problem, I think. Um, And then from there, it was some kind of tendonitis in my foot. Like, each of these little things that came, though, I was devastated, like, like I would cry when my physiotherapist would tell me, okay, this is what I think's going on. And I think you're going to have to not run for a couple of weeks till we get this under control. And keep in mind, I was a novice runner. So, um, that would be the plan of care or the recommendation was to not run, uh, to, to, to heal things, to, to make things, uh, better was to quit irritating it. And when you would tell me those things, I would just be so desperately afraid that I didn't have my thing uh, to do to keep me sober. And it was very precarious. Like I felt that, um, I felt that fear because I didn't have a backup plan. I, I didn't, I, there was no backup plan other than I knew I was committed to not drinking. And so It's like when you're committed to a goal race, like that is it. You get tunnel vision when like, I I think probably it's my personality too. I'm not just saying that anybody could do this the way I've done it. Um, But the tunnel vision is I've set this as a goal. And for me, that was sobriety. So even though I didn't have a backup plan, if I couldn't run, uh, the goal didn't change. Like, so yeah, I was devastated. And yeah, I feared. But I also didn't tempt myself with situations like it took a lot like years, really, before mm-hmm. I even put myself in situations where there was alcohol at all anywhere. Um. So I just sort of was smart about the situations I put myself in, so that I didn't have to be Uh, mourning or lamenting the fact that I wasn't drinking and that I didn't have running as a backup at the time now though I mean I'm much healthier in my mind I still don't have a backup plan but I mean this is five years now and believe me it doesn't mean that it it doesn't mean I'm safe because like an addiction is always there lurking but what you do in five years is you do learn a lot about yourself and coping and, um, what to do, what not to do. And I, I mean, I'm not opposed to showing up at an AA meeting if I thought that that's what I needed in the moment. But, uh, I, I, I never did have a backup plan. I really hung all my hopes on what running gave me and what it replaced when I removed alcohol. So, I mean, I would do at this point whatever I needed to do if I felt um, that I was at risk for a relapse, whatever that would be. Now though, really seriously, I still, I have moments where I think, oh gosh, like I would love a drink. And I've had moments in the past where uh, I, I don't even think I'd say that I was close, but that I had rational thoughts that it would be an okay thing to do. I'd say to my husband, well, you know what? Like, I think like, why wouldn't we just have a glass of wine tonight? And you know, he's so good. He's like, no, don't be ridiculous. But for me, like, I think what I think in those moments is everything right now in my life that I value, that is good. Um, that fulfills me would all go away if I were to drink so you know like I don't know if you want to say my platform because I mean I'm not you know, it's it's not like I have a whole lot of people interested in who I am or what I do, but the people who are interested in my story are the people, cause they're interested because they believe that I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps every day. And I know that it, if I drank, like all that goes away, all of it does. I'm not saying people couldn't forgive it or overlook a relapse, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm not, this person that i've made myself. So,
0: and i also think um just somebody who follows you online and has met you at races and we've we've talked a lot. Um, you know, you've made yourself pretty accountable by putting yourself out there on a website. Um, you know, if if something was to happen, y- you do like you have you have your immediate support group which is awesome but i really feel the community that you've developed which is very far reaching would also be there for you in a heartbeat
1: and and yeah i i should um definitely recognize that too because when i um when i say like all the things i have that are good and that i enjoy and that i'm involved in those things essentially are all um the running community so you know the fact that I enjoy doing a little bit of contributing and writing to I run Um, the fact that I'm involved with Canada running series you know those things are all they've all come about because I got sober and shared my story but what I gained too was that I gained all these wonderful people that you know I got a message the other day on Twitter um, from somebody, uh, I know it was the Bell Let's Talk Day. So I had posted about when I was nine, I um, found my mom unconscious with an empty bottle of pills uh, beside her. Uh, at, 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 I mean, fortunately, it was a failed suicide attempt, but I was that little nine year old kid that walked in and found my mom like that. And you know what? Again, again, a genetic predisposition to drink, but all these um, traumatic events that a kid experiences on top of having this like genetic makeup to be addicted to whatever, um, these are the things that like add up. And make my story what it is like like anybody you taught you you ask anybody with any kind of addiction like if if they're willing to talk or if they've had any kind of self-discovery they'll go back and crappy things happen to them in their childhood traumatic things chances are Um, but anyways i shared this and um a twitter uh follower uh sent me a message that said you know uh, I, I pull for you every day. I'm in your corner. I, I know you can do it. Uh, and I, I look for you every day kind of thing, this message, right? And I thought, holy cow. Like, did she did she wasn't someone that I could recall having any kind of real engagement with. Um, and here it was just out of the blue, her saying, like, I pull for you every day. I think you're great and you're an inspiration. Keep going. So it's when you get stuff like that, too, is you think, you have no idea how many people are in your corner that you don't even know about. I do know the ones that I do know about. And I know that, um, well, it would be wrong to say that I'm sober. So I don't disappoint them. That's not the message I'm trying to get across, but I know that there are people who believe in me and it's just the same as that race goal. You know, you have people who believe in you that can do it. And sometimes even maybe when you don't believe in yourself, they'll believe in you until you can believe in yourself. And that is what gets it done. So it's no different. It's no different. But yeah, the, the, the community out there is been uh, a lifeline for me, has been wonderful
0: yeah I what you just said like actually totally touches home because as somebody, myself as an athlete and having gone through um, two years of anxiety, it was my community that believed in me um, more than I believed in myself. So
1: Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, many of us, we have, if we're lucky, family and close friends that, that believe in us. But then to turn around and have all these other people um, in the running community far and wide believing in you, people that may only know you virtually, like what I think is, uh, wow, like I've made an impact on that person if they're taking their time to say, I believe in you and I'm pulling for you. I think that is amazing. Like, don't you wish like the whole world could be like that to each other? Like imagine if everybody could just be in each other's corner.
0: Another question um that I I get I I have like I said, I have a lot of friends who are in the alcoholic sobriety program. Um they're at different levels of alcoholism, and then I have a lot of friends who drink um, socially, and then I have a lot of friends who drink heavily, um, and I get asked by various people in my life, um, you know, what do you think the difference is between an alcoholic and a person who just likes to party a lot? And I always, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question because I'm neither of those people. Um, you know, I've had my own relationship with alcohol and my own relationship without it, but I would. I, so, as an alcoholic, and I know you're not really an expert as an alcoholic, but you're five, but you're five years sober now. Do you have anything to share about to somebody who has that question like that?
1: So, for me, in the beginning, right, because that's what I thought too. I'm just that girl who likes to like go to all the parties and you know drink too much and whatever, and. uh so as I had mentioned, I kind of went down this checklist when I was assessing my level of uh, problem drinking, um, and the one thing that kept coming back is um, compulsiveness. So I I think among other things, but the one thing that stood out for me that was the difference between being um, somebody who liked to party and liked to have drinks compared to the person who it's an addiction, it's, it's alcoholism is compulsivity. Um, it's a hard word to say. So compulsiveness about your drinking. And, and by that, I mean, um, I'd need to do it. I would need to have that drink. Like I'd be thinking about it as soon as I got off work. Um, and there would be nothing that would keep me from having it. So the difference is um with someone else they might get off work cuz they want and they're thinking oh I'm going to go home and have that glass of wine. I just need to de-stress or unwind. All the like things we tell ourselves that alcohol is good for. Um that person might get home and maybe all of a sudden You know, something comes up that they have to go tend to, so they're not going to have that glass of wine right now. Well, the person who doesn't have the problem goes and tends to their responsibilities and doesn't have the glass of wine because they need to do X, Y, and Z. The um, compulsive, like, I would need to have that drink. It wouldn't have mattered if I came home and, you know, oh, mom, uh, so-and-so couldn't take me to soccer. Can you take me? Well, I wouldn't take them. I would say, okay, well, your dad will be home in five minutes. I'll get him to take you so that I could stay home and have that drink. So I let um, life happen and go by, and I um, didn't meet my responsibilities and obligations to my family because I needed to drink. And there was nothing that was going to keep me from doing that. Um, and the fact that I would do it at inappropriate times, um, and it wouldn't matter to me. It it didn't matter that, okay, I'm going to have two or three drinks now, and then I have to be at such and such a thing. Now, I want to make it clear, like, this was never a problem, like, at my job with my, with my work. Like, that I kept very, um exclusive because I'm a nurse and that's it's just you don't do that but I will say the minute I was off work if it was a day shift I was home having a few drinks before I went to bed and then the same thing like um on my days off it was just excessive so my pattern didn't necessarily have to be that I had to drink every day not at all like I could find ways to cope and get around but most days I definitely would have drinks at some point. But I think the difference that stood out to me was this compulsiveness. And that I would say, like, when I, that you've tried to quit is another thing. Like, you've tried to quit before and you couldn't, or you didn't, you know, or you gave yourself like rationale why, yeah, I did say I'd quit, but you know what? It's, uh, Joe's birthday and, you know, everybody's having drinks. Well, I'll just have drinks here with Joe. You know, So these things like that, you, you try to quit and you fail, you try to quit and you can't, or, and then it's compulsive that you'll be drinking, um, you know, when most people really would think that this is really inappropriate for you to be, you know, four drinks in before you go to a family dinner or, you know, so yeah,
0: yeah. For other women, then, who are struggling to get sober or stay sober, what advice do you have for them, and where can they go to get help?
1: It's always hard, the advice thing, because everybody's different. And, I mean, I was in a good place, if you want to say that. If, if, if you were going to be an alcoholic and you were going to need to get sober, I mean, I had the resources, the support, you know, um the knowledge to do it. So it's really difficult to say advice. But what I would say is um, use what you have, like it doesn't have to get fancy, so to speak. I mean, if you have a family doctor that you trust and have a decent relationship with, I mean, start there. That's what I did. I went to my family doctor and I just said, you know, this I think is a problem. And from there, you know, he started organizing some things to help me. Um, I did go to an inpatient rehab uh, facility and I'm chuckling because I dropped out after I think, I think the third day. And it was because I was so homesick. I just could not be away from home. Um mm-hmm. I mean you're vulnerable as it is. You're in a really awful feeling physical place too. And so to be away from my people, which I have, I have these, you know, few great friends, family that are my people. So as I was there, I just felt really wrong about it. It did not feel good. And of course, when I wanted to leave, um the staff, they said to me, you know, you're going to fail. If you leave here, you're not going to stay sober. If you leave here, you will not stay sober without this program. And that is something that I still remember to this day. And that is another thing that's in the back of my head. It's like, right. When, yeah. What, yeah, I mean, your personality, I think is like mine too. When someone yeah. tells you, you can't, It's like, oh, yeah, just watch me. And so sometimes early on, if I was thinking of drinking, you know, that doctor was in my head. And I thought, oh, yeah, you watch me. I'm not touching that drink just because. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, family doctors, if you are lucky enough that, you know, the work you do, if you have benefits and you have any kind of employee assistance program, you can use um, some counseling through there. Uh, I also used the um, uh, CMHA, so the Canadian Mental Health Association, which we know addiction is a mental health, um, not problem, but it's a component, right? Like, So I used um, services like an addiction counselor through them. And these things like so far that I'm talking about are no money out of your pocket. So these are all things that you can use through... Um, the Ontario, um, yeah, state. yeah, Health Ontario or Ontario Health. So those are things, um, I guess, other than the um, benefits like the EAP, through that I used a social worker. So these were all things for me that sort of took the place of AA at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I think, and if you have access to the Internet, it's really just a matter of a Google search Um for alcoholism, sobriety, whatever you want to say and you're going to get all these this list of resources but i mean most of what i used was not anything that isn't available to anyone else but you just have to like as far as advice is it we're, we all we all come to it at a different time And the advice is when your own when in in your own mind, when when you are beginning to doubt that what's going on with your addiction is healthy, like when you start to contemplate that maybe there's a better way, listen to listen to those like those things are triggering in your head for a reason. And follow that through no matter what that looks like. If it takes you a year from, like me, from the first time I thought that I had a problem, it was still another year before I thought, yeah, maybe I should do something about this. Um, and again, it was my husband. Um, after these episodes that we talked about with my son's parent teacher, and then this the work where I just kept drinking and drinking after work and And, um, he, it was my husband that looked at me and he said, you know what? I think, I think you do have a problem, which originally the year before he didn't think I did. He, he really didn't think I did. But this a year later, after these two episodes, he said, yeah, you know what? This is a problem. And when he said that all I could fast forward was seeing me continuing to drink, continuing to make things worse I, I I saw my home, my job, my family, my friends. I saw all of those things disappear, and I looked around, I thought, I kind of like what I have going on here, so if my husband is saying this is not working for him and it 's not working in our household, I maybe better take a look at this so i mean i i I listened to those things around me, I listened to the messages that my, my own self was giving me over the year. And I just had to make the change. It's not easy. It's, it's so hard to give advice on because man, it, it it's each person's own journey. And we come to it like in our own time and, and in our own way. And what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for another. Like, yes, AA serves many, many people successfully. And, and I wanted to say that My, um, uh, choice not to be part of AA is not because I don't believe it would work. It's because I had these other things that would work. And I shared with you too, that, um, in my small community, you know, I, I was really ashamed that this was where I found myself, like that I, what, I'm an alcoholic. Like I was ashamed of that for the first year and a half that I was, um, Uh, sober. And I wasn't about to go sit in an AA meeting in my small community um, with people seeing me coming and going. Now I know what happens in a meeting stays there. I know that um, people don't talk about who they've seen there. I know those things. It's just a matter of who sees you go. And and hopefully, you know, everyone sticks to that confidentiality. And I just couldn't bring myself to go in my small community to those meetings. And so I found other ways that worked for me. Um, it's worked for me. I'm not saying that it's for everybody, uh, but for me, for me, I, for me, I'm good. I'm good so
0: far. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you've done an amazing job um, the last five years. So what it, what is your sort of, I know you're not really in sobriety. It's one day at a time. And I know you're very good at taking everything one day at a time. But when it comes to running, you kind of have to make a goal and you kind of have to set a goal, which is, you know, six months ahead of time. So what is your plans for the next fee- for the next year or the next 5 years both with fitness and you know anything you're going to be doing um inside your sobri- sobriety?
1: Um
0: so you
1: know in the long run I see myself as a runner for life now like it's not uh it's not just a therapy for sobriety anymore. It's it's something now that plugs in and fits, and then it's it's who I am. Like I I've had people say, no, no, like you're you. A runner is not who you are. But you know what? I feel really good to say I'm a runner. So yeah, I'm a runner, and that is that's part of what defines me. Um, right now, I'm just coming off. Um, some physical problems that I'm rebuilding and and I'm doing what I hope to be a smart rebuild doing a lot of strength. And right now my kilometers are low uh, and I, and I'm uh, intending to keep it that way over the winter and spring. And I hope that uh, I feel good and strong enough by the time June comes around to commit to the Scotiabank Toronto waterfront marathon in October. So June will kind of be where I need to start thinking about starting to prepare for that. Um, so that's this year. I, of course, will, I'll, I'll end up at um, the Canada Running Series races this spring. And, and I probably will run them. I won't run them hard or, or um, with any kind of goal. More for social and just, just to be there with um, the runners, the people, the community, friends. So I think that... At least for the first half of this year, I'm going to really focus on rebuilding, being strong, and just finding the joy in running again. I had such um, hip problems and discomfort most of last year, along with a few other niggling injuries that I lost the joy that I had felt um, from running. And it was a chore because of the discomfort. And uh, I'd like to be able to find that joy again and 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 it's coming back it it totally is when you take the pressure off um so yeah this year is not going to be a really heavy year for me but at the same time I'm looking forward to it being one of my best running years not best by the clock or anything like that but most enjoyable
0: Yeah, mentally, uh, sometimes it's nice to just take a little bit of a breather and refocus and regroup. um.
1: It was like burnout. It was like a burnout period. Like, I felt like I, for for my abilities, right? I'm not, uh, you know, an all star runner, but in our own rights, right? We only compete against ourselves. And for me, Uh, I spent the past two years working really hard at becoming a better runner for myself, like from, you know, sort of one goal to the next, from one plan to the next, from working hard all the time. And um, I just, I think I got to the point where I just, I didn't, I didn't want to look ahead at at a big schedule of a plan of, of, I just, I just wanted to go out and run for fun. Like I wanted to be able to not have um, my watch on and not be watching my pace and not be checking the kilometers. And so I'm doing that right now. I mean, and it feels good. It feels good to have a bit of pressure off right now.
0: I know that you did a bit of a blog post about this um, uh, in the beginning of January about New Year's resolutions. So if people want to find you and go and read more about your story, where can they find you?
1: Um, so I'm at, um, my blog is Um And really the best way or one of um, the ways that I engage most is on Twitter. So it's at Krista Davidson and it's C-H-R-I-S-T-A. So, that. And of course, like, I'm on Instagram and I'm around. It's just um, the spelling of my name. It's a CH. So look for that. And uh, I absolutely love engaging and interacting with people.
0: So thanks for being on the show. And we will be watching you this year and hoping the best for your year of just having fun. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks again to Krista Davidson. Definitely check out her blog, runningonempties.blogspot.com, or find her on Twitter at Krista Davidson. Next week on the show, I interview Rachel Seaman. She's a Canadian Olympic race walker who's getting ready for Rio 2016 Olympic Games.